Proclamation yesterday for the national uh, call to prayer and re repentance that was held on the National Mall with Jonathan Kahn. These are literally, this came in from the president uh, while the meeting was going on. I'm assuming he was watching, was so stirred by what he saw that he quickly got together with his team. They crafted this and uh, sent it over and uh, it was read there and uh, I want to read it to you tonight. Quote, on this inaugural National Day of Prayer in Return, the First Lady and I join millions of Christians here in the United States and around the world in prayer as we turn our hearts to our Lord and Savior. Our great nation was founded by men and women of deep and abiding faith, a faith that has stood the test of time. 400 years ago, early American settlers trusted their lives to His providence and braved a voyage to a new world. From the pilgrims who sought His protection aboard the Mayflower to the countless believers who today bow their heads and ask for His guidance during these unprecedented times, our country continues to turn to the Lord. Following in our ancestors' footsteps, we continue the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence that provides us enduring strength and assurance in our time of need. The trials and tribulations the American people have faced over the past several months have been great. Yet, as we have seen time and time again, the resolve of our citizenry fortified by our faith in God has guided us through these hardships and helped unite us as one nation under God. As we continue to combat the challenges ahead of us, we must remember the sage words of President George Washington during his first presidential address. Quote, pompous smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. In other words, we can't expect God's blessing if we continue to shake our fist in the face of God. Wow, powerful statement. As a country and a people, let us renew our commitment to these abiding and timeless principles. Today I'm pleased to join my voice to yours in thanking God for blessing this nation with great power and responsibility. With reverence, humility, and thanksgiving, we beg for His continued guidance and protection. President Donald J. Trump. Wow, powerful stuff. And by the way, I couldn't help but think whenever that was read yesterday that it is something akin to what Nebuchadnezzar did when he was humbled by the God of heaven, remember? And he was out seven years, you know, wandering with the beast and his hair grew out and uh, looked like feathers on his body. And boy, when God had mercy on him and brought him back to his position as king, he said, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the God of heaven. Those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. And uh, that is something akin to what our president did yesterday. So moved by what he was hearing, what he was watching that he was prompted to do that. And I just say amen to that. May it continue that way. And with that introduction, I want you to take your Bible, if you would please, and turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 13. I want to read one verse of Scripture tonight. Use that as our springboard. It's going to be a little different tonight than it was this morning. And uh, the rest of the week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, will be more like this morning. But I want to do something tonight. Because what I've learned down through the years, every church I'm in, people come up to me when they understand we have a ministry on Capitol Hill called Hope to the Hill. Our overall ministry is called Hope Ministries International. But only one aspect of that ministry is our D.C. ministry. Of course, I'm still traveling, preaching about 42 local church meetings a year as well as crusades under our massive tents. But uh, God has given us this ministry on Capitol Hill. We have two staff members there. Our son Nathan is our director, and he is 31 years of age. You say, that's young. Well, when he went up there, he was 26 years of age to work full-time. You say, that's exceptionally young. 
It is, but the young people on Capitol Hill are really the power brokers. They're the ones that read the legislation that has been crafted. They are the ones that actually craft the legislation that is ultimately voted on. So the power brokers really are not the older folks that we call senators and congressmen, though don't misunderstand, they're powerful people, but the ones that shape the direction of the country via the legislation that is written and then enacted are really the 20-somethings. And so when Nathan went up there at 26 years of age, I said, buddy, you're the perfect age to really connect with these young people that are so influential and most of the American public does not understand that about them. But what God has done has literally been to knit Nathan's heart not only to his age group but to those older senators and congressmen because they've learned, I've learned this and they learned this I guess about Nathan. When you go to D.C. as a young person and you've got your head screwed on straight and you've got your feet firmly planted on the ground and you know exactly what you believe, you're worth your weight in gold in Washington, D.C. Because everybody's up for sale, it seems like, in our nation's capital. When somebody shows up that is not for sale, and I ought to hear an amen right there, when they're not for sale, uh, people up there understand that person is worth their weight in gold and uh, they'll watch them, they'll follow them, they'll look up to them in respect and they will listen to what those kind of people have to say. And certainly Nathan, thank God, thank God. He and his sweet wife, Amber, I praise the Lord for it. You keep praying for them. But God has allowed them to have a profound influence there on Capitol Hill. And I praise God for it. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. As I travel in churches, people come up to me and say, you know, D.C. is a God-forsaken city. We're a nation on a headlong run toward hell. And I'm not minimizing the issues we've got. The sinfulness that's taking place has been for decades in our nation. I'm not minimizing any of that. But I want you to understand this. By the time we're done tonight, I think you'll see that D.C. is not a God-forsaken city. And God is not through with the good old United States of America. He is not through with us yet. And what we're doing this week, this I Love America revival, is exactly what should be taking place in churches all over the United States of America. And I love your patriotism, preacher. I love it. I love it. I love it. Have I told you I love the patriotism here at Calvary Baptist Church? You just don't see that everywhere, but it ought to be that way. Because God has been a part of our country from its very inception. We were birthed by God as a nation. And we have certainly been blessed by the almighty God of heaven. And I praise God for patriotism. It's the way it should be done. Look at Proverbs 13. Let your eyes rest on verse number 12. The verse says this. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. By the way, the word deferred means postponed or delayed. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, if you and I live in a state of constantly anticipating something good's happening, but that good never comes, it just keeps getting shoved down the road further, the can of hope keeps getting kicked further down the road, do you know when we live like that, we can get literally heart sick over that, discouraged. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Hope deferred. Maketh the heart sick. Look at the next phrase though. But when the desire cometh, literally when the thing you desire actually comes, look at the rest of it, it is a tree of life. Can I hear an amen? If you've ever seen a tree planted by a water source and that sprouting tree, you know, bursts out of the ground, it is the most life-giving thing you'll ever see in all the world. Well, when the fulfilled promise or the expectation we have of something actually comes about, my goodness, it's like infusing life into a person's soul. So what I want to do tonight is infuse life into your soul. Can I do that? And we're going to do that via some pictures that we're going to show on the screen. Guys, let's do this, and I'm going to have the guys operate this from back there so I don't have to think about it because I can't talk and think at the same time all the time. Anyway, uh, let's go to the first slide if we could, please. 
Uh, by the way, I'm sorry for the shameless promotion, but this is my grandson, the only grandchild we have. This is Charlie, and Charlie's two and a half years old. Is he a cute little fella or what? And running wide open. That is our oldest daughter, Rachel's uh, son, our only grandchild, so I've got that off my chest. Okay, I've been thinking about him. So anyway, uh, that's Charlie, and uh, I'm praying God calls him into the ministry. Can I hear an amen? Uh, that little guy's not supposed to be here, by the way. Uh, my brother and I weren't supposed to be here either. My, my, my mom and dad said the doctors gave uh, her no chance, my mom, no chance whatsoever to bring us to full term and for us to be born. But we were born and God had a mission for us. And that little guy's not supposed to be here either, but he is. And so God's got his hand on his life. And I thank God for grandchildren. By the way, how many of you have grandchildren? How many? Okay. All right. You understand what's bursting in my heart right now. What's going on? Brother Charles back there nodding big time. He understands. Well, the rest of you do too as well. Let's go to the next picture if we can, please. My year last year, this past January, began right there in Times Square in New York City. The gentleman between uh, my son Nathan and I, I'm on the far right, Nathan's on the left. The gentleman between us is an evangelist friend of mine by the name of Frank Shelton. Frank Shelton for years worked with the Billy Graham organization. And Frank Shelton just gave me a phone call one night. And he said, Brother Dave, I'm curious if you'd be interested in this. But he said, there's something going on in New York City actually at the United Nations building. Now, I'm not a big UN guy. You understand? I've been one of these guys that used to years ago have a bumper sticker on my car that said, get the U.S. out of the UN. And I still pretty much believe that and adhere to that. But this was an interesting proposition. He said, there's something going on at the UN, and I can't go into all of it even now, but I will tell you this. We went to New York City. We met with an ambassador from a South American country who basically said, what I'm interested in having you guys come here to do is this. Talk to us about ways we can get the gospel into South America. And he said, I want to use my influence as an ambassador at the United Nations to facilitate getting the gospel to South America. Can I hear an amen right there? Never in my wildest imagination did I ever dream that would open up, but it did. By the way, I didn't include the pictures for sake of time, but there's a picture of Nathan and I standing in the General Assembly room at the United Nations there in New York City, standing behind the podium there where world leaders, including our president, have stood. It's an awesome thing, an absolutely august thing to stand behind that podium. But God is alive and well in the United States of America. Can I hear him? And he's alive and well around the world. He's trying to accomplish his work of getting his gospel around the globe. And he wants to use us. And folk, I'm just a country boy from Hickory, North Carolina. Actually, Hildebrand, outside of Hickory, North Carolina. Never dreamed, never dreamed, never imagined in my wildest dreams when I said yes to the Lord as a 16-year-old that any of these things would transpire. I'm not special, but our God is awesome. I want you to understand that. And the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, the Scripture says, throughout the whole earth. God is looking for people through whom He can show Himself strong. In other words, He's looking for people that are just available. The greatest ability is availability. Can I hear an amen? And if God can get a hold of your heart this week and you become available, young man, young lady, and you just lay your heart like our dear brother testified about tonight, lay your life on the line and say, Lord, whatever you want from me, that's what I'll do. You'll be amazed how God takes your life and expands it, increases the influence that he gives you for the kingdom of God. Let's go to the next picture if we can, please. We just completed this last week. And that is uh, every year, normally in the month of May. This year, because of COVID and all that was going on in the month of May, it was moved to the, the month of September. But we literally set that very pulpit up right there on the West Plaza. And that's what you're looking at, the West Plaza of the United States Capitol. If you'll notice, uh, looking at the picture just to the left of my head, do you see that little alcove that has doors and you see the little railing there? If you notice that little railing that's made out of marble, that railing actually can be pulled out of the way. It will uh, come loose and be moved out of the way. 
And where that railing is, every four years there's a platform built and that platform extends out past where I'm standing right there on the ground and that platform is for the inauguration of the next president of the United States. We're going to watch that happen on January 20 of 2021 if Jesus doesn't come back. You say, why do you put the pulpit right there? We put the pulpit down on the ground. Of course, during the inauguration they build a platform out but we've strategically chosen to place the pulpit on the ground where the pulpit or podium is, where the president is sworn in, the pulpit is placed at that very spot and starting normally the 1st of May, this year in September, we literally read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation over the course of 72 hours. From cover to cover. Can I, how many of you knew the Bible was read like that on, up, up, up on the Capitol? West, okay, it's the best kept secret in all of America. It's been going on for 28 years. Can I hear an amen? The National U.S. Capitol Bible Reading Marathon. And we read from Genesis to Revelation over the course of 72 hours. And it's day or night, rain or shine. If there's rain, we cover the pulpit with a tent. And so the Word of God can be read without the Bible getting wet. And some amazing things happen uh, while we're there. By the way, uh, two years ago when we were there, uh, at our concluding of the Bible reading marathon on the last day, before we read Revelation 22 together, the final chapter of the Bible, before we do that, we do a pledge of allegiance to the American flag. We have some music. And uh, preacher, we had one of those stands, I guess kind of like uh, the stands maybe you have your flags on, those kind of you know, plastic, look like brass stands, but they're actually made out of plastic. And it was windy that day and the flag wouldn't stay up, kept blowing over. So a Capitol Police officer came to me and said, Preacher, he said, can I find you a solid steel stand that that flag will go down into? Because he said, I promise you, that thing weighs so much, about 90 pounds, it won't blow over. The flag won't blow. I said, man, that'd be awesome. Where's that? He said, right around the corner. Let me go. I said, can I help you? He said, nope, can get it on my own. This strapping guy picked that 90 pounds up, brought that thing over there, set it on the ground. We put the flag in it. It didn't budge. I mean, we could have had a hurricane and it wouldn't have budged. But anyway, I said, man, thank you so much for doing that. You didn't need to do that. What a blessing. He said, thank me. He said, no, thank you. I said, why are you thanking me? He said, do you know that the Capitol Hill police officers will schedule their vacation the week you guys are in town? I said, because they don't like us. And he grinned. And he said, no, it has nothing to do with that. They love you. And I said, why do they love us? He said, do you know the crime rate in D.C. drops precipitously while you guys are here reading the Bible for those 72 hours? I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, yes, it drops. The crime rate drops so much that the officers, many of them that work for the Capitol Hill Police, will take their vacation week the week you guys are here because they know they're not going to be needed. Can I hear an amen right there? Hey, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Old Testament says, Is not my word like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? And the Word of God just being read from the West Plaza of the United States Capitol has a purifying effect in Washington, D.C. By the way, if you would ever want to come do this, we are getting people already uh, kind of acclimated and prepared to sign up starting in January when we open up the online registration and you can sign up to come and read the Bible from the West Plaza of the United States Capitol, the very spot that every president since Dwight D. Eisenhower has been inaugurated. And this ought to be a bucket list item. First time I ever did this years ago, something came over me when I stepped behind that pulpit. I thought, man, it's an awareness that I am standing where presidents have been inaugurated and my voice is echoing all the way down the National Mall. How many of you know what the National Mall is? All right, I mentioned it in West Virginia, and I love West Virginia, but a dear sweet lady, she said, Brother Kissler, is there a Dillard's in the National Mall? I said, it's not that kind of mall, okay? It's not a shopping mall, all right? 
The National Mall is that two-mile-long stretch of real estate that runs from the Capitol Building one mile to the Washington Monument and then another mile from the Washington Monument all the way to the Lincoln Memorial. That two-mile stretch of real estate covered in grass is called the National Mall. So you're standing behind that pulpit and you're reading the Word of God. Your voice is going all the way down the National Mall. But preacher, we do it this way on purpose. We read facing west because we want the Word of God to go from east to west all the way across the breadth of the United States of America. If you've never done this, I want to implore you to get your name on the list and come and read the Word of God at the National U.S. Capitol Bible Reading Marathon. Wow, powerful, powerful stuff. Let's go to the next picture, can we? Back in December, we did something that we'd never done before. By the way, I take tours of the U.S. Capitol. I've had as many as 70 uh, people there. Uh, I take groups of pastors, usually about 15, 18, 20, 25 pastors from various places around the United States. But it's part of my ministry to take people to D.C. and just take them around the Capitol, take them on a tour of the Capitol building over to the Supreme Court, tour of the Supreme Court building. And uh, there's a lot about all of those buildings that literally come from Scripture. By the way, the Supreme Court is one of two buildings. Actually, some people say it's the only building. Some others say it's one of two. So I'll just put that in there. There's a debate about that. But it's either the only building or one of two buildings that were ever built in D.C. that came in under budget. They budgeted $10 million to build the U.S. Supreme Court. It was built for $9,600,000 and change. One of two buildings or maybe the only building ever to be built under budget. It's an amazing place. But that building was built, designed after a building mentioned in the Bible. Now your homework assignment between tonight and tomorrow night is figure out what building that is in the Bible, all right? But there's 103, and you're hearing me correctly, 103 locations throughout D.C. where on the buildings there are verses of Scripture. 103 locations. Anybody hear that on CNN recently? No, they're, they're trying to say we're a secular country. No, we're not. We weren't founded as a secular country. We may be living that way right now, but we were not founded as a secular country. We were founded as a Christian nation. By the way, those that came over on the Mayflower before they ever exited at Plymouth Rock, they wrote their own, their own charter called the Mayflower Compact. And in it, they said while they were coming here, they said we're coming for the advancement of the Christian faith and the propagation of the gospel. Can I hear an amen? So we were founded for religious liberty. My point is this. We normally take much smaller groups, and this is only a portion of the group. But back in December, we took 200 people to Washington, D.C. And preacher, I'll tell you this, you have not worked until you've tried to corral, like trying to corral cats, 200 people from all over the United States of America through every intersection, Brother Jones. I was running back and forth, making sure you know that they stopped up here, but came back, made sure nobody got run over back here. As 200 people, of course, had Nathan. We had a bunch of other people helping us. But I felt responsible because we were hosting them. But we had an awesome time. And uh, what we did is three concerts over four nights. Three concerts over four nights, first week of December, and we called it Christmas in the Capitol. Christmas in the Capitol. We had Michael English there. How many of you know who Michael English is? We had the Neelands. We had a group called Citizen Way. We also had a group called the Wilmington Celebration Choir. Have any of you ever heard the Wilmington Celebration Choir? Folk, you've got to Google them online. You've got to hear those. They sing. They'll light up a room, and you're going to hear some of it in just a minute. But we had them... Uh, there are all these musicians, and we did three concerts over four nights. 
from December 5 to 9. December 5th through the 9th. The first concert was out at Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's palatial home that sits on the Potomac River. The second concert was actually at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. How many of you know there was a Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.? Actually, 430,000 square feet of nothing but honoring and lifting up God's Word. Can I hear an amen right there? It is the museum to visit. You think museum, dry, dusty, it's anything but. It is the place to go in Washington, D.C. They have a 750-seat auditorium. So we asked them, can we do two concerts, one in the afternoon, one in the evening? They're in the 750-seat auditorium. They said you can, so we did that. And the visitors that come to the museum got to attend the concert, of course, free of charge. And we got the gospel out to those people that just came out of curiosity to see what was going on at the Museum of the Bible. The final concert was held up on Capitol Hill. And it was an amazing thing that God did, phenomenal thing that God did. I'm going to share a little bit more with you about that in a minute. But I want to say this. If you have an interest in learning the truth of the founding of our country, if you have an interest in understanding how God's hand has been on our nation since its very inception, I would implore you to do this. Let me know. And if you're coming to D.C., we'll set up a time where we can take you around and show you what we showed these folks over the course of four days. However, we'll do it with you in about a day and a half, all right? So get your walking shoes on, all right? Just get them on. Uh, over the course of three days when I'm in D.C., we'll walk about 18 miles, okay? I will. Not everybody else will make it a little easier on them, but I'll walk about 18 miles. So uh, it's no problem for me. I don't mind doing it. I really don't. But we'd love to show you what God's doing, what God did, and what He's still doing in our nation's capital. Let's go to the next slide, if you would, please. By the way, I put this one in for just a couple of reasons. Uh, number one... Uh, to let you know, we, we clean up pretty good, don't we? Anybody? <laughs> Somebody said, preacher, you do clean up well. Well, uh, of course, on the far left is me. To my, to my left, there is my sweet bride, Betsy. And beside her is uh, our daughter-in-law, Amber Nealon Kistler. Uh, how many of you know who the Nealons are? Been singing Southern Gospel music for years. Well, she has been the featured soloist with the Nealons for many, many years. And Nathan and she met when Nathan was 15 years of age and she was 16 years of age. Probably shouldn't tell you she's a year older than Nathan. But anyway, they met when they were that age and Nathan came back to our trailer and preacher, he said this. He said, I've met the girl I'm going to marry. I thought I've heard that before. He said, no, this is special. And boy, it was special. They got separated from each other because we were traveling, they were traveling. And then uh, about uh, two and a half years ago, Nathan called me and he said, Dad, this has never been attempted in D.C., what do you think about us screening a film? A yet-to-be-released Christian movie, screening it for members of Congress, showing it to them before it ever hits the public. I said, man, I think that's a great idea. I said, have you got a film in mind? He said, I do. It's called A Question of Faith. A Question of Faith. Powerful gospel message. Well, I found out, and it took me a little while to put two and two together, but I found out that Amber was one of the actresses in A Question of Faith. And Nathan finally came clean and confessed. He said, Dad, I wanted to screen the movie because it's powerful for members of Congress, but I also wanted to get reconnected with Amber. And so anyway, that's where they got reacquainted. And within about a month and a half, they were seriously dating. And within a few months after that, they were engaged. And they got married April of last year. Can I hear an amen right there? And by the way, if you've ever heard Nathan sing, if you've heard her sing, uh, the two of them together are dynamite. I'm telling you, Larnell Harris and Sandy Patty have nothing on those two. They really don't. And my wife says, just have lots of children because they'll be singing machines, and they will. Uh, but anyway, God is blessed, and so that's uh, part of our family right there. And uh, we are standing, actually, at our Christmas event. We, um, we did a banquet, kind of a dress-up black-tie banquet 
at the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C., and that was the night we did that. I'm not being political. I'm just telling you that was the only place we found that had a big room that could accommodate 200 and some people, but it was absolutely amazing. Let's go to the next slide. Again, my sweet bride and I. And I'll just say this, gentlemen. Maybe some of y'all have the same problem. Every time my wife and I are out in public, it happened not long ago, somebody will come by and they'll say, Sir, can I share something with you and your daughter? <laughs> Preacher, we're not waging this war on old age near as well as our sweet brides are, are we? But anyway, I say, well, listen, listen. Uh, she's going to love, she loves what you just said, but that's not my daughter, it's my wife. Uh, but she has an age since the day I first met her. She, she has uh, her, her dad and mom's genes. Her dad is 88 years of age and just did some cave exploration with us. I was amazed. We're used to doing that. He wasn't, but he did every bit of it with us. Takes just a little portion of a blood pressure pill. Other than that, he doesn't take any medication. His daddy was 101 when he died. And so longevity, longevity is in my wife's side of the family, but I thank God for her. Second to my salvation, she's the greatest gift God ever gave me. I'm sorry she can't be here, but she is the pianist at our home church. And so tonight she's playing there because she's been gone a lot over the summer and certainly over the last couple of weeks uh, we've been in D.C. last week and then several other things prior to that. Anyway, let's go to the next slide if we can. Anybody recognize that man to my right in the picture? Speak out if you know who he is. Louis Gohmert, Congressman Louis Gohmert from Texas. By the way, former judge, could be a pastor. Louis Gohmert is as good a preacher as I've ever heard, knows the word as well as any pastor I've ever met in all my life. This man loves God with all of his heart. I ought to hear an amen right there. He's one of many on Capitol Hill, that loved Jesus with all of his heart. And uh, he came out to actually read at our Bible reading marathon, and I just said, hey, Congressman, can we get a quick picture? He said, absolutely. He's a dear friend to our ministry and a dear friend of our family, and uh, Nathan spends a good bit of time praying with him. I want to share something with you about Congressman Gomert. He actually got the COVID virus. And he said, I'm just telling you what he said. Uh, he, he got it, and he had a very mild case of it. But he said, I think I got it because during the entire time we were in D.C., during the pandemic up until just about uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, he said, um, he said, I didn't wear a mask. We weren't really required to wear one. But then they started getting real fussy about everybody wearing a mask. He said, I think I got it because I was constantly touching my face, moving the mask around. Right. That is a danger. And the medical community will tell you that. But he said, I did get it, had a mild case of it. But uh, as soon as he got it, and again, I'm not a doctor. Don't play one on TV or radio. I'm not prescribing anything. I'm just going to tell you what he said. As soon as he was declared uh, exempt to the virus after he got his second negative test, he went right to the microphone and he said, I owe the fact that I'm alive today to God and a drug called hydroxychloroquine. That's exactly what he said. He said, I demanded that they give me that cocktail of hydroxychloroquine, azetamithin, and then uh, zinc, that, that, that cocktail of those three things. And he said, um, I really believe that's what God used uh, to, uh, to cause me to get better. And again, for whatever it's worth, we have had six people, six people that we know and family. We've had one family member get the virus as well. But we've had six people, very close to us or family, that have gotten the virus and four of the six demanded hydroxy, and they fully recovered. The other two recovered as well, but they were younger. The others had a lot of extenuating medical, they're called comorbidities, a lot of other health issues and so on. Uh, but God is good. And uh, I believe this, God can heal independent of a human doctor 
Or he can use the hands and the medicine the doctor prescribes, but God's the healer. Can I hear an amen? And so when you hear the president from time to time talk about uh, therapeutics, he talks about the vaccine. Yeah, we're going to have several vaccines. And, but he talks about we got therapeutics. I just heard him say it again today. Therapeutics as well. He's talking about hydroxy. He's talking about that, uh, that other one, rem, remdesivir. And uh, there's several others as well that uh, have been used. And by the way, uh, I, I've taken hydroxy twice, okay? When all of this started and everybody was just demeaning hydroxy, it's basically taken as an anti-malarial. And when I've gone to the African continent, they require that you take that so that you don't get malaria while you're over there and you take it as a preventative. The same way the president said he was going to take it. And of course, everybody got all upset about it. But anyway, the bottom line is this. It is something that'll work, okay? It really is. And uh, if you haven't figured out yet, the media has a vested interest in lying to us a lot of the time, okay? They just do. I'm not trying to be unkind, but they do. And so anyway, I thank God for Louis Gomert. He's a wonderful man. He's a man who walks by faith, and uh, I love him dearly. He's one of the great Christians on Capitol Hill. Let's go to the next picture, if you would, please. Anybody recognize the man to my right? Jeff Sessions, former Alabama senator, and for a while he was the Attorney General of the United States of America. By the way, the event we are at where that picture was taken is when we screened the film for members of Congress that our daughter-in-law was in, that went so well. Uh, that went so well. So many members of Congress came to see the film. We decided this is a great thing. We need to do more of this. So what we did is we partnered with the folks that produced the eight-episode series on the life of Christ called The Chosen. The Chosen. Has anybody seen any of the episodes? Is it awesome or what? Is it powerful or what? It is the most realistic portrayal of the life of Christ I've ever seen. And you're giving Brother uh, Jones a thumbs up. It's the most realistic portrayal. The one on Peter. The episode on Peter. I mean, he, it's just perfect. I mean, just open your mouth long enough to insert the other foot. I mean, it just portrays Peter so realistically. But everything is period accurate from the costuming to the, to the way they present it. They spent a million dollars an episode to produce those eight episodes. There ultimately will be 11 of them. But what we did is screen the first two for members of Congress and anybody else that wanted to come at the Museum of the Bible. And thank God, former Attorney General, former Senator Sessions came with his dear bride. And by the way, they're from Alabama. Uh, Don't throw a a book at me or anything, but I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Are there any other Crimson Tide fans in the room? Alabama Crimson Tide. Are you really, brother? Are you really? You're one of the few I find in North Carolina. Can I have a set of knuckles right there? Amen. (laughs) Jeff Sessions went to the University of Alabama. Yeah, you're praying for me. Anyway, Jeff Sessions went to the University of Alabama, but he has granddaughters that go to Auburn. So I asked his sweet wife, I said, which is Senator Sessions? Is he an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan? She said, you're going to have to ask that to him yourself. So when I got to talk to him before we took that picture, I said, which are you? He said, well, I have to be honest, preacher. He said, I went to Alabama. My, my granddaughters go to Auburn. So right now, he said, I pull for Auburn. I said, see, no, I didn't really. But anyway, uh, wonderful Christian people. Wonderful Christian people. And roll tide. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Go to the next picture, if you would. Anybody recognize this gentleman? Yep. Dr. Ben Carson. He is the head of housing and urban development. By the way, that was taken that same night at the screening of The Chosen and I want to say this, folks, there's not a more gracious man I've ever met anywhere than that man right there. Nathan said it well. He said, Dad, that man, Dr. Carson is so humble, you don't even know he's in the room. And he's so unassuming that uh, when he speaks so softly, but yet there's power in his communication because his integrity screams something. This man loves Jesus with all of his heart. 
And I want to use this as an opportunity to tell you, right now, right now, in the administration, in the cabinet, and again, I'm not being political, just telling you the facts as they exist. You've got Ben Carson at Housing and Urban Development. You've got Rick Perry, former Texas Governor Rick Perry, committed believer who is Transportation Secretary. You've got one of the greatest Christians on Capitol Hill and a man by the name of Mike Pompeo who is our Secretary of State. By the way, he doesn't just know the Word and know the Lord. He knows the prophetic Word. He studies Bible prophecy. That'd be a great guy to have, wouldn't it, preacher? As Secretary of State making the decisions he's making. And I promise you this, he does know the Word. There are others like Betsy DeVos, Education Secretary, committed believer in Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to tell you is around our current president and surrounding the current administration is a veritable who's who of committed believers who know what they believe, but they're also very good at what they do. And folks, since the founding of the country, we've never had so many Christians in strategic places influencing what's happening in our country. And I ought to hear an amen right there. You say, preacher, you're trying to be political. No, I'm not. I hate politics. Hate the word. Politics, compound word. Poly, many, ticks, blood, second, insects. Okay, I hate politics, all right? But what I am thankful for is when one of God's three institutions, civil government, has people like this that are in the positions they're in, offering the advice they're offering, and um, God is good, is all I can say. God is beyond good all the time. Let's go to the next slide if we can. Now, I put this slide in to share with you two things. Of course, that's my sweet bride and I, and it is at night, and we're there on Capitol Hill, and what we have just done, or getting ready to do, actually is walk around the Capitol on the outside and just pray around the building as we walk around the Capitol. Now I want to point something out to you. Do you see the dome of the Capitol, which is the most recognized, one of the most recognized images in all the world is the dome of the U.S. Capitol. You'll notice sitting on top of the dome is a little pedestal. Do you see the smaller little pedestal? There's a light on inside the pedestal, and on top of the pedestal, you can only see a couple of feet of it, is a statue that is just commonly called freedom or liberty. All right, At night, which is what this picture was, it was taken just as it was getting dark, you'll notice on the far side of the building just to the right of the dome, it's actually out on the outside of the building, but it looks closer to the dome, you'll see uh, an American flag flying. Do you see that? There is a flagpole on that side of the Capitol. That flag flies over the Senate chamber where the 100 senators meet to transact business. On the left side of the dome, out of the picture is the house chamber. And flying above the house chamber, there is a flagpole with a flag flying on that. If you're ever in D.C. and I'm not with you to remind you, I want you to remember this. You can look at the Capitol and you can tell whether either chamber, the House or the Senate, is in session or both are still in session at night. You can tell that by this. In the pedestal, which was true this night, there will be a light on inside that pedestal. It's hard to see it because of the way the picture is, but the light is on inside the pedestal. It'll always be on if one of the two chambers, House or Senate, is in session. And the House, the chamber that is in session, whether Senate or House of Representatives, the light will not only be on, there'll be a flag flying on the flagpole. Because normally at night they take the flags down. Everybody with me? But if they're still in session, the flag will be flying on the flagpole over whichever house or both of them is in session at night. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out to you is this. This particular night, the Senate is in session. And the light's on in the pedestal, flag flying over the Senate side. Preacher, I've been there at 3 a.m. in the morning, walking around the Capitol praying. 
and the light on in the pedestal and flags flying over both house and Senate side. They're working till three in the morning. Now you probably thought this, you may have said this, all those people are on Capitol Hill is a bunch of lazy bums. Well, they might be bums, but they're not lazy. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? They work, and they're not bums either, all right? But what I'm saying is they work incredibly hard. I don't know how they do what they do. It is from daylight till dark, and sometimes from daylight till daylight. Under the times where we've got big pieces of legislation, I can promise you this. Our president did an amazing thing, amazing thing. At 5 p.m. yesterday, at the end of this national day of prayer and repentance, he put forward a nominee by the name of Amy Coney Barrett who has the most strong reputation for supporting the life of the unborn of any justice since Antonin Scalia. Can I hear an amen? Wow. I thank God for that. And by the way, folk, I'm not being political. Our president campaigned on that and said, I'll pick those kind of justices. And he's not only said it, he's done it. And folk, it's going to be World War III on Capitol Hill for the next several weeks. But the president's got to get her confirmed. I mean, it's his constitutional duty. And you're going to hear a lot of people, well, you know, we're breaking tradition here. You ought to wait till after the election. You know what the Constitution says? It doesn't say, it doesn't say the president ceases being president in an election year. It doesn't say that. It says he has a responsibility to put forward a nominee. And then with the advice and consent of the United States Senate, they then have a vote on that nominee. And they are either voted up or down. They're voted in or out. And I believe the votes are there. In fact, I know they are already. She is going to go into the United States Supreme Court and ought to hear an amen again. Right now, the breakdown is 6-3, 6-3 when it comes to the issue of life. And let's say, let's say in four more years, depending on how things go, there were to be another judge. We could be at 7-2. The possibility exists because of the age of some of these folks. It could be 8-1. Everybody understand what, what I'm trying to say? Brother Dave, will Roe versus Wade ever be overturned? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. We've never had the numbers like they are right now. We've never seen a president as pro-life as this president is. He's the first president ever in the history of the country to speak at a pro-life event in person. First one to do it. You say, preacher, he's just doing that for politics. I happen to know that's not the case. You know why he's pro-life? He wasn't, but he's got grandkids. He said, I saw a baby moving in the womb. One of my grandbabies. And he said, it hit me. How can we abort a living human being? Can I hear an amen? So he's become very pro-life. You say, preacher, he's not perfect. No, he's not. Neither am I. Neither are you. right. I want to tell you this. Could he tweet less? Of course. <laughs> Grab that phone every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Take it away. Could he? Sure he could. But in his policies, folk, he's been about the most biblical president we've ever had. Supporting Israel. Said, I will move their, our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem if I'm elected. He didn't just say it. He did it. He said, I will listen to the wording. I will recognize Jerusalem, not just as Israel's capital, though it is Israel. He said, I will recognize Jerusalem as Israel's eternal capital. That's got prophetic significance to that because it is Israel's eternal capital. And he didn't just say it, he did it. And then a few months back, folks, this is the cherry on top of the icing on the cake. He declared the Golan Heights 
which are in the northern part of Israel. He declared the gold line. By the way, according, according, this is so amazing. Preacher, according to international law, the Golan Heights belongs to Syria. But if you read the book of Deuteronomy, if you understand the, the layout of the land that God gave Israel, the Golan Heights is included in it. Syria may think, according to international law, they own the Golan Heights. God says Israel owns the Golan Heights. Amen. And you know what our president did, Brother Jones? He said the Golan Heights is the property of Israel according to how we in America are going to view it and how I as a president of this country is going to view it. By the way, the, the people of Israel so appreciated that they are building a, a housing development called Trump Heights in the Golan Heights. They literally are. You say, preacher, you're making it up. No, I'm not. Look it up. It's amazing. And all that's happening right now. And you know what? Nobody in the news media is going to make the connection. You know Genesis 12, 3 is still in the Bible. Where God says, I will bless those that bless you, Israel. I'll curse those that curse you. And in you, Israel, shall all the rest of the nations of the earth be blessed. Anytime we have an administration that supports Israel, that brings God's blessing. And right now, folk, I'm, I'm not trying to be political, but I'm telling you, if certain things happen in this upcoming election, Israel's going to be public enemy number one if certain people get elected. As it is right now, Israel is the apple of America's eye. More importantly, Israel is the apple of God's eye. And so it's an amazing thing going on inside that building. By the way, if you come, if you come, let us take you around. We'll go in that building right there and you'll feel God's presence in the building. I've never seen anything like it. You're going to understand why I'm saying that in just a minute. Let's go to the next picture, shall we? By the way, say, uh, Brother Dave, where are you? Okay, I cannot post this picture on Facebook, but I can tell you about it and show it to you here, all right? So don't take a picture of it, all right? And, Please, guys, delete this picture. You can do whatever with others. But by the way, these guys back here are top tier. I'm not kidding. They are top tier. Fellas, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your incredible service. I'm sitting behind the desk of the vice president of the United States. Now, the reason I put that in there is twofold. Number one, I was in, uh, I was in Outback Steakhouse in Hickory. I'm sorry, Longhorn Steakhouse in Hickory on a Thursday night. And a phone call came through, and it was my wife and I's date night. Thursday night's date night for us, preacher. And so we're at date night, and normally I don't answer the phone, okay? But I looked down at my cell phone, and it was a 202 area code, which is Washington, D.C. And I thought, hmm, who's calling me at 730 from Washington, D.C.? So I said to my wife, I said, honey, do you mind if I just step outside for a minute and take this call? It's D.C., something's going on. She said, no, that's fine. So I stepped outside and answered the call, and it was a gentleman who said, preacher, I know you're going to be in town next week. Could you change your schedule if you need to? But at 12 noon, could you be at the White House and could you attend the vice president's Bible study? I said, twist my arm a little harder. <laughs> we'll see what we can work out. I said, I said, well, I said, I'd love to do that. I said, actually, I've got a tour group in town that I'm taking around from a church over in, in Virginia. But I said, I'll, I'll talk to the pastor. If we can tweak for maybe an hour uh, our, our schedule with them that I've already committed to, I'll do my best to be at the Bible study. Well, we were able to work that out. The pastor was so gracious. So I got to go to the, to the vice president's office. That office is incredibly large. You're only looking at the desk and the chair behind the desk. But the office goes to the left in the picture way, way, way. It's like two massive rooms. And that day, that day at that Bible study, there were 65 White House staffers at that Bible study. 65. Two weeks later, Two weeks later, Miss Tammy, there were 126 White House staffers 
at the VP's Bibles. How many of you heard this on CNN? Have you figured out they're lying to you most of the time? They're withholding information. Man, if it's not bleeding and it's not burning, then they don't show it to you anymore, right? I'm telling you, God's alive and well on Capitol Hill. Now I want to show you how God works. In 2002, 2004, 2007, we had the opportunity to set up our massive tent on the National Mall in D.C. and do three crusades. The first one again in 2002, right on the heels of the 9-11 attacks in 01. As a result of the 04 crusade we did, 2002, 2004, 2007. In 2004, as a result of that crusade, something really unusual happened. There was a 16-year-old teenage girl. I've tried to figure out what church she's from. I hadn't been able to figure it out. But according to the description of the lady who called me, the girl had blonde hair, blue eyes. She was vivacious, just full of the joy of the Lord. Handed this woman an invitation to come to our tent for a crusade service, but also handed her a gospel booklet that contained the gospel of John in the book of Romans. Beautiful cover, full color cover on the front. We always do things that way. You have to in D.C. has to be top tier or they don't give it a second look. Is everybody with me? They're used to the best up there. So it has to be top tier. It's one reason I love what you've done with your audience. This is beautiful, isn't it? This is worthy of the Lord we serve, isn't it? Yes, amen. Amen. Thank God you have a pastor who wants the best for the king, for the king he serves. Thank God for you who want the best for the Lord you love and adore. Praise God. Well, this lady... Said a 16-year-old girl gave me this information, including the booklet. She'd flipped it over in the back, saw a number. I'd routed everything that week because all of our staff was in D.C. to my cell phone. So I actually answered the phone. She said, I'd like to get more of these booklets. Where can I get more? I said, ma'am, if you'll come by. And I gave her the location of the tent at, at 7th Street there on the National Mall, busiest intersection on the National Mall. I said, if you'll come there, big red and white tent, can't miss it. I'll give you as many of these books as you want. So we gave her 450 of them. She worked in the Pentagon chaplain's office. So she took those 450 booklets out and the chaplain at the Pentagon saw me and said, we got to have more of these. We've got to have more of these. Well, she said, well, you need to call Dave Kistler. And she said, you need to have him come preach here. So the chaplain called me. said, can you come up and let's meet? I said, I sure can. I said, can I bring a few of our staff with us? He said, absolutely. So we went up, we met with him. You know the first thing he said to me? He'd done a little bit of research into my background. He said, Dave, you're an independent fundamental Baptist, aren't you? I said, I am. He said, I am too, but I'm not mad about it. (laughs) I said, chaplain, neither am I. And man, our hearts were, hey, there's nothing to be mad about. Nothing to be mad about. We serve the king. Mad? What? Man, our hearts were knit together. And he invited us into the Pentagon to conduct a crusade, not just one, two of them. And we begin distributing by the tens of thousands, that gospel booklet with that full color cover. In fact, the chaplain told me this. He said, Dave, we have never given out anything to the 28,000 employees. And you're hearing me correctly. 28,000 people work at the Pentagon every single day. It's the largest low-level office facility in the entire world. It's built in rings. You've got a center courtyard, five acres. Then you've got an A ring. And then you've got a B ring and a C ring, a D ring and an E ring. It was the E ring where all the top brass, they have the offices in the E ring because the windows face to the outside where you can actually see the city. The other rings, if you have a window, it just, you look out at the next ring of the Pentagon. Everybody with me? It was the E ring that was attacked on 9-11-01. And that Pentagon chaplain took me on a tour. Preacher, 
I'd love for you to come with me and let's get that tour again. You would be moved. There had never been a chapel in the Pentagon until after 9-11. Where the plane came into the building, they built a chapel. We stood on the second floor of the Pentagon in the E-ring at the very penetration point. That plane at over 400 miles an hour came into the building. And he said this, he said, Preacher, that plane was flying so low that it actually belly flopped on that helicopter pad out there in the parking lot. That little belly flop slowed it down a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. That when it hit the E-ring, it didn't do as much damage as it probably would have. But he said, I want to tell you the real reason it didn't do much damage. He said, you may not know this, and I didn't at the time. But folks, he said in early 2001, our governmental leaders under the leadership of George W. Bush understood this building is a target to terrorists. So they started bringing the building up to 2001 code. By the way, the Pentagon was built in 1944. Anybody know what we were in the middle of in 1944? A world war. It was very hastily built. And by the way, folks, just so you know, that building was begun. The construction was begun, get this, on September 11, 1944. I don't think the terrorists knew that when they attacked the building. But it was. The construction begun September 11, 1944. Hastily built, somewhat crudely built, certainly not up to 2001 standards. So what he said they started doing is they started redoing the E-ring Steel and concrete reinforcing the E-ring of the Pentagon. He said by September 11, latter part of 2001, when those terrorists hijacked that airplane and flew it into the Pentagon, he said the Pentagon has five exterior walls of the E-ring. That's why it's called a Pentagon. Penta, five. He said by the time September 11 of 01 rolls around, only one exterior wall had been concrete and steel reinforced. The other four had not been so done. Preacher, he looked at me and began to tear up. He said, you want to venture a wild guess which wall those terrorists flew that airplane into? The only one that had been steel and concrete reinforced. He said, if that had hit into the other four walls, the plane would have gone through the D ring, through the C ring, B ring, A ring, and maybe through the courtyard and a little ways out the other side, igniting fires the whole way through. He said, because they hit the only wall they'd been steel and concrete reinforced, literally the tail of that plane went through the nose of it like an accordion when it hit. That's why you didn't find any debris much other than the, 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 the engines of the plane and a little bit of the landing gear. If that had hit any other wall, he said, we'd have lost probably internal estimates, say 10 to 12,000 of the 28,000 people that work here. His words, not mine. He said, preacher, we would have never militarily, we'd have never recovered from that. Because they hit the one wall they did. We lost 163 people, most of them on the airplane. Can I hear an amen? amen? And then my friend, Colonel Ralph Benson, Pentagon chaplain, looked me in the eye and he said this, sort of lets you know God isn't through with a good old U.S. of A, doesn't it? Let's you know God's not through. It was a warning to be sure. But God's not through yet. He's got something for us to do. I believe he's got something he wants to bring about. And that's revival in America. That's why we're still here, folk. I don't know about you. I want to fan the flame of revival. I want to fan the flame of revival. In the United States of America. Wow. Let's go to the next picture, if you would. By the way, that is the desk drawer slid open 
from the bottom of the president's or the vice president's desk. I don't know if you can see this, but every president since, or excuse me, vice president since Eisenhower has taken a marker, a pen, a Sharpie. You can see Dick Cheney's name right there, Sharpie, but they've taken some type of writing instrument and written their name in the bottom of the desk. Preacher, I've got ADD. I had to fight this, but I want to get my pen in my pocket and just put my name, Dave Kiss. And I, I didn't, I didn't. But you don't know how much I had to fight resisting doing that. I wouldn't be, I'd be in jail somewhere, you know, if I'd done that. But it was awesome to sit there. Wow. Let's go to the next slide, would you? Anybody recognize that man? Ben Stiller. Let me tell you a little story, okay? Uh, I had a tour group in D.C. taking them around. And I typically wear a, a suit, you know, uh, if I'm going to be visiting members of Congress because that's their official attire. So when I'm in D.C., we dress like the natives do. Everybody with me? You know, because we don't want to erect a wall. They have to crawl over to hear what we have to say. So, you know, we dress like they do and, and try to be sharp and all that kind of thing. Well, anyway, I dropped my tour group off after eating lunch at a place called We the Pizza. Isn't that a great name? By the way, if you come, we'll go have lunch there. We the Pizza. It's just off Capitol Hill. When Capitol uh, Hill you know, works late into the night and they don't have time to go eat, they'll actually order out. And they have pizza brought over and they'll put big pies, boxes of pizzas on rolling carts and roll them from We the Pizza over to the Capitol building and our senators and congressmen eat pizza. Again, I hear an amen from We the Pizza. It's a great, it's a historic place. By the way, we just had our lunch there. I'd said my goodbyes to this church group after lunch there at We the Pizza. And I thought, well, I'm going to walk over to my car, which is over at Union Station. I'm going to walk to my car and I'm going to go down 2nd Street, which means means the, the, uh, the, the Supreme Court will be to my right, the Capitol building will be to my left, and I'm going to walk that way because it's the quickest route. So I'm walking, and uh, I'm just thinking about everything we'd done that week, those three days we were there, and I glanced over onto the steps of the Supreme Court, and there was a guy in a black suit, white shirt, black tie, standing there having his picture made, and I thought, that's Ben Stiller, the actor. And I thought, well, you know, it's a Ben Stiller lookalike. That wouldn't be, what would he be doing in town? So I thought, well, I'm going to wait and see, you know. And so they got a couple of shots, and then he stepped off the steps, and I realized that is Ben Stiller. So, man, I said, I'm going to go meet him. So I went over, and I shook his hand. I said, Mr. Stiller, my name is Dave Kistler. I said, I'm president of Hope Ministries International and a D.C. ministry we have here called Hope to the Hill. I'm just curious, what are you doing in town? He said, I've been testifying before a congressional committee on the opioid crisis. I said, well, is this your first time to testify or is it your second? Because normally if they bring you in once, they'll bring you in a second time, especially if they fly you from California. He said, no, it's my first time, but I'll be back in a few weeks. Well, I didn't have a, I didn't have a business card. I'd given them all out. I said, listen, I said, can I just say this to you? Um, I'd like to get with you when you're back and like sit down and have coffee maybe and just chat. He said, man, that'd be awesome. He said, now tell me again what it is you do. I said, well, our ministry is called Hope Ministries International. Our DC arm is called Hope to the Hill. We have two staffers, my son and Dr. George Roller, that are here full time. I'm here when I can get here, when I'm not out ministering somewhere. But we just share the gospel, tell people about Jesus. And those that know the Lord or that we lead to Christ, we disciple them. You understand Ben Stiller is a Jew. I didn't know this day, preacher, I was going to have a chance to share the gospel with Ben Stiller. But I did. Now, folks, listen to me. What if I'd been doing what a lot of Christians are doing today with COVID-19 and, you know, hurricanes hitting the southern coast of the United States and fires out in the west, everything going on, you know, turmoil. You know, we walk around like this, don't we? So my phrase since that experience has been this, head up, eyes open. Head up, eyes open. There's ministry opportunities everywhere. If we got our head down, we're going to miss right. half of them. Yep. Are you with me? Head up. Not just physically, spiritually more important. Head up spiritually, eyes wide open, looking for ministry opportunities. Are you with me? They're everywhere. 
We can share the gospel with anybody. That man has heard about Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't get saved that day. But I want you to pray for Ben Stiller. Would you do that? Let's go to the next slide. That's my son, Nathan. Uh, by the way, that picture has not been manipulated. I was in, in D.C. doing an interview on prophecy with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, and we walked down to the, to the Lincoln Memorial looking back through the reflecting pond to the Washington Monument, and the sun off the monument looked just like that. That picture hadn't been manipulated a bit. I said, we got to get a picture there. I want you to pray for Nathan and his wife, Amber. They're the future of our D.C. ministry. It's a young person's city, okay, and I know at 61, I can't do this forever. I don't plan to retire. But understand, we got to have leadership we're raising up. And for 10 years, since I was actually 11 years, since I was 50 years old, I've been praying, oh God, lead me to the person that will take my place. Lead me to the person that will take my place. I don't want to have something happen and then this ministry just die. I want somebody to keep the torch going. In fact, take it to greater heights than, than Lord, you ever used us. Had no idea Nathan, our son, would be the one God would touch his heart. But he was singing with the Hoppers at the time. And then after that, uh, you know, sang a little bit with the Neelands. And um, he had actually left both those groups and was singing at a theater over in Elkins, West Virginia. He had signed a one-year contract. He was a featured soloist at the American Mountain Theater in Elkins, West Virginia. And as that contract came toward an end, about November or October, I think it was actually, contract ended in December. Nathan called me and said, Dad, I have no clue what I'm going to do. I said, well, buddy, can I just throw something in your lap? No pressure from your dad, but... I'd like you to pray about it. You'd be the perfect age to come to Washington, D.C. He was 26 at the time because it's a young person's city. I said, son, I'd love you to pray about being our director on the hill and just push this thing to the next level. And he said, dad, let me pray about it. He prayed about it two weeks, called me back, said, said, dad, I believe God wants me to do it. And man, has that been a godsend. Amen. Folk, on the day the shooting took place, how many of you remember the shooting at the ball field out in Alexandria, Virginia, where the man with a long rifle shot up a bunch of the GOP congressmen who were practicing for their annual baseball game against Democrats, Republicans. It's a great event. It's a great event at National Stadium. They were practicing just three days away from it. And this guy shot Steve Scalise through the hip out there at second base. It's a wonder he survived. The coach of the baseball team was a congressman from Texas by the name of Roger Williams. He's got white hair, very distinguished looking man. I'd never met Roger. But I can promise you this, because Nathan was on the hill when that happened. Within 20 minutes of the shooting, he was in Congressman Roger Williams' office praying with his staff while Roger was on his way to the hospital to be treated for injuries. From there, he went to Congressman Steve Scalise's office. And while the congressman was fighting for his life at a downtown Washington hospital, and his staff was scared out of their minds. Nathan was there praying with them. Are you listening to me? That year, I'm going to try to get through this. That year, every year they give an award to the top police officer of the Capitol Hill Police Department. That year, because of the shooting, there were two that were awarded. Both of them African-American. A young man by the name of David Bailey and a young lady by the name of Crystal Griner. They were on Steve Scalise's protective detail that day because he was the minority whip. When that shooter started shooting and Steve Scalise went down out at second base, they only had handguns. Preacher, this is heroism of the highest order. 
David Bailey, who is a believer in Jesus Christ, Crystal does not yet know the Lord, but the two of them with only handguns ran not from, like everybody else was doing, from the gunfire. They ran right into the heart of it. With handguns, they took down the shooter and neutralized him. Can I hear an amen? In the process, both of them were injured. Crystal was shot in the leg. A little bit more severe injury than David Bailey's injuries, but both were injured. That year, we awarded the Capitol Hill Police Officers of the Year Award to those two in a ceremony in the U.S. Capitol building. I never dreamed, never dreamed when I said yes to the Lord as a 16-year-old that I'd be the chaplain for that event and have a chance to preach and pray twice. Can I hear an amen? amen? At that event, though, was Roger Williams, who had recovered enough to be there. Also at that event was a young man by the name of Matt Micah who took a bullet right into the chest from that long rifle and survived. By the way, as a result of what happened in that room where we honored those officers and Nathan following up, Matt Micah has trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He's been born again. That day, Congressman Roger Williams heard Nathan sing the national anthem and God bless America at that event. He came right up to Nathan and me and said, I got to meet you guys. He said, who are you? And I told him my name. Nathan told him his name. He said to Nathan, he said, son, I want to fly you out to Texas to sing the national anthem and God bless America in an event I'm doing. So he flew Nathan all the way out to Dallas, Texas. And that night somebody videoed the event. It was at one of those big palatial homes. Any of you remember, I'm not promoting the morals of the program. Anybody remember the 70s, 80s program called Dallas? Remember the Ewing house? And he's the one they said was the Ewing house. Big, beautiful, palatial Texas ranch. That's kind of the place. The house looked almost identical. That wasn't that house, but very close in appearance. And that night, Roger Williams got up and he said, Folk, I want to tell you something. 250 people there. He said, I want to tell you, the young man's about to sing to you. Whenever the shooting occurred and I was at the hospital, he was in, and Roger teared up. He said, this young man was in my office praying with my staff. And he said, I'll never forget that, ever. He said, by the way, this young man is called to D.C. to help us drain the swamp. (laughs) That's what he said. He said, so I've nicknamed Nathan Kistler the Swamp Pastor. He's the Swamp. That's his nickname on the hill, the Swamp Pastor. Isn't God good? Let's go to the next picture, can we? By the way, that picture right there was taken from the top of a restaurant at the base of Capitol Hill called Charlie Palmer's. They have a rooftop area where you can sit when it's uh, warm weather in the summertime. But that is a beautiful view, isn't it? I want you to remember that picture. I want you to pray for our nation's capital. If you were to look at that picture and come down toward the bottom of the picture, right-hand bottom corner of the picture, you're coming down toward what is the start of the National Mall. If you go a couple of blocks down the National Mall, you will be where we were yesterday. Where about somewhere between 50 and 100,000 people were on their faces lying in the grass. Asking God to forgive them, repenting of their sin. And asking God to send revival to America. Folk, I'm telling you God's up to something. He's up to something. We get to be here and live during the middle of it. God wants to use us in the midst of it. If we're available. Now I want to back up to December and if you guys can cue up the first video. Back in December when we had all the musicians there, the 200 people, 
We did an after-hours tour of the U.S. Capitol. And by the way, if you come, we'll take you on that tour. And the guy that will give us the tour will be Congressman Louis Gohmert from Texas, whose picture I showed you earlier. This is the second reason why I showed you the picture. He is a walking encyclopedia of U.S. history and the history of the Capitol building. I've never met anybody like him. It'll be about an hour and a half of the greatest time you ever spend anywhere. Listening to him explain why we were founded as a Christian nation. And the building reflects that. It's awesome. Well, we went into an after-hours tour. Congressman Gohmert was our tour guide. From there, we went into the house chamber. Our tour guide in the house chamber that night, because you have to have a member of Congress take you in there, was Mark Walker, Congressman Mark Walker, North Carolina congressman from over near Winston-Salem. Wonderful guy. He's become a good friend of, of my son and our ministry. And Mark Walker said, I need you to pray. Preacher, he said, in front of 200 people, he said, could you pray for something, a big decision I've got to make? Boy, was it a big one. And what started out as a praying for him developed into a, just a Holy Spirit-directed prayer meeting as 200 of our friends on this trip sat in the seats where members of the house sit. Preacher, I'd never been a part of a prayer meeting in the House of Representatives. There was one that night, and it was awesome. From there, we walked over to the Capitol Rotunda, which is the room underneath the dome. It is a beautiful room. There's eight paintings around the walls, the circular walls of the rotunda. Five of the eight are overtly religious. The baptism of Pocahontas is depicted there. The Indian princess, do you know she was a believer? I don't know if you knew that. Her baptism is pictured there. As the pilgrims left Holland to come to the New World, a picture of them with an open Bible. You can actually read the Bible, the first chapter of Matthew in the painting. They're praying before they embark for the new world, preacher. It's amazing. And yet we're being told every day, we're a secular nation. No, we're not. No, we're not. We went into that room and Congressman Walker began to explain about the beauty of the room. And I leaned over to him and I said, Congressman, have you ever heard of the Wilmington Celebration Choir? He said, no, I haven't. I said, well, we've got 70 of them with us. I said, would it be possible for them to sing here in the Capitol Rotunda? He said, absolutely. So I looked over. Uh, To Joey Gore, the director of the choir, I said, Joey, let her rip. And so what you're about to watch was filmed that night in the Capitol Rotunda at 11.30 p.m. as they sang this awesome song, I Go to the Rock. Let's watch it.
<laughs> By the way, folk, that used to never be allowed, but it is allowed now. By the way, the Capitol building during the days of our third president, Thomas Jefferson, housed the largest church in D.C. How many of you knew that? Largest church in Washington, D.C. during the days of Thomas Jefferson was held in the U.S. Capitol building. Boy, that'll mess up the separation of church and state people, won't it? That we're supposed to say, you know, God's not supposed to have any influence on government. Hey, the wall of separation between church and state, which is, by the way, not a phrase in the Constitution. It was in a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut, who were concerned that the new Constitution that was being drafted in 1787 wouldn't provide adequate protection for religious liberty. He wrote to them and made them a promise. He said there will be an adequate wall of separation between church and state. But the wall was not to keep God out of government. It was to keep government out of the affairs of the church. Hey, when a state government says you can't sing in California, they've gone too far. Yes. Preacher, I'm sorry. I'm going to get on my soapbox. Look, folk, it's true. They're trying to take our religious liberty away. The virus has been very real. But some of the response to it has not been right. And some politicians trying to take advantage of a very real virus to do some things that once the virus is gone, never go back to normal. By the way, I don't like new normal. Hey, we're never, they say, never pass an offering plate again. Every time you baptize someone, drain the water after. That's ludicrous. I'm not going to drain my swimming pool after every time somebody put some chlorine in it. Can I hear an amen? Have we lost our minds again in America? The new normal. We're going to have to get used to never shaking hands, just bumping elbows or staying six feet apart. That's what some people are. We're not made for that, folks. Think of the social distancing. That is an, that is an oxymoron. You can't be social and distance. That's not the way that works. Folks, I'm sorry. I'm a hugger and a handshaker. Are you with me? Now, if you're not comfortable, that's fine. That, listen, listen. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine anytime. Some people don't want to hug or handshake. That's fine. But I'm telling you, if you're a hugger or handshaker and you give me the, go, the green light, we're going to hug or handshake. Are you with me? We're going to do it, brother. Amen. We are. Now, now listen, I'm not, if, if you're uncomfortable, that's fine. Really, there's, I'm not, I'm, that's not what my point. I'm just saying I'm not going to no new normal. Don't you think the God who knew from the beginning of time that we were going to have a pandemic in the year 2020, if he didn't want us to stay socially distanced, he wouldn't have put this in the Bible, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. That's breaking social distancing protocols, isn't it? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Folk, we got to get through this and go back to normal as far as the way we respond to each other, but I hope we have a totally new response as far as our commitment and dedication to the Lord. I don't want to go back to the old dry humdrum way maybe we were pre-COVID. I want to go back to the old normal as far as the way we interact with each other, but I want us to be more fired up than we've ever been. Living in revival. Amen. I didn't plan on saying that, but anyway, maybe the Lord did want me to say it. Now, one final thing. Cue up, if you would, guys, so much the second uh, video. Right after that choir sang, we had a young lady with us, and you can see her picture there. Her name is Marlena Van Hoos. We'd invited her to come be part of our Christmas in the Capitol event. Does that name ring a bell with anybody, Marlena Van Hoos? She rose to international fame when in 2017, at the inaugural prayer breakfast, she was invited by the president 
to come and sing How Great Thou Art. In the, the, the cathedral, the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., that day I watched the entire prayer service. It was started early in the morning, I think about 8 o'clock. They had army choirs. They had a navy choir sing. I mean, it's the best musicianship. It had, you know, all types of instrumentation with it. It was gorgeous. And as a husband of a wife who's a concert pianist, and as the dad of children that are concert violinists, and our son Nathan has traveled the world singing, I appreciate great music. Amen. However... When Marlena got up to sing with just piano accompaniment, How Great Thou Art, something changed in that room. The camera turned to the second row where our now first lady sat beside the soon-to-be inaugurated President of the United States. And Melania Trump had copious tears coming down her cheeks while that little lady sang. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Beautiful voice. What you don't know yet maybe about Marlene is this. She's autistic and she's blind. She has a lot of other health issues as well. She only stands about this tall. But she has the keenest sense of humor of anyone I've ever met. If you would ask her in a room, you know, can, ever, can anybody not see the board? She'd raise her hand because she's blind. She can't see it. She's got a great sense of humor. This night in the rotunda of the Capitol, after the choir saying what you just heard, I leaned over and I said, Marlena, could you sing us a Christmas carol? And she just nodded. That's all she did, nodded. And whenever they finished, she started with what you're about to hear. Now, what I want to tell you is the choir is still standing where you saw them in the prior video. And they just join in, totally impromptu, preacher. Not planned by human hands, but planned by God. It is the most beautiful thing I have ever heard in all my life. I want you to listen. Dang it.
Folks, I want to tell you something. If God can use a blind autistic girl, He can use you. Preacher, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for not serving God. Or preacher, I can't do this. I don't have this gift. I'm not that. Stop saying that. And lay your all on the altar. And let God use you for His glory. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, would you help us tonight? Lord, we've just scratched the surface of what you've been doing on Capitol Hill. And Lord, I know this is all new to these, my dear friends here at Calvary Baptist. Because the news media never talks about this. They never portray this. Lord, though that video of Marlena has gone viral and been seen hundreds of thousands of times, the media will never talk about it. But Lord, you allowed us to be there and to be a part of believing a legacy and a testimony in the Capitol Rotunda. And Lord, you're doing this on a weekly basis, things just like this. And Lord, it's an awesome time. And Lord, I have no other belief other than this because I'm convinced it's the case. The division and the anger and the rancor and all that's going on in our country right now is because the wicked one is upset. Because you're reclaiming ground from him. Father, help us to understand what we're in over the next 37 days really has nothing really to do with politics. This is a spiritual battle. This is not a D versus R, left versus right, conservative versus liberal. Lord, this is a right versus wrong, light versus darkness, good versus evil struggle. Father, help us to see see it for what it is. And Father, help us to understand the answer to America's ills is that which Marlena sang about Jesus Christ. The one born as a baby in a manger lived a sinless life, died on an old rugged cross, shed his life's blood, was buried but rose again the third day to forgive the sins of the world. Father, I pray if there's someone in this room tonight that does not yet know you, I pray tonight would be the night when they would come to you. And Father, we'll thank you. Now, folks, I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm not asking, do you think? Not, are you reasonably sure? Well, Dave, I think. I'm not asking, do you think? I'm asking, do you know? Do you know that if by some strange circumstance on your way home tonight, your life were to end, do you know that you'd go to heaven? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you know that, would you lift your hand hold it high? God bless you. You may put your hand down. No one's looking but me. Is there anyone in the room? You do not have the absolute certainty. You're not 100% sure that if your life were to end tonight that you'd go to heaven. But God's been dealing with you today. Maybe He's been dealing with you for a long time. And you'd be willing to say, Preacher, you're talking to me right now. I do not know for sure that I'm saved, but I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned enough that I'd like you to pray for me. Friend, I'd love to pray. Not using your name, of course. I'd love to anonymously pray because God knows your name and everything else about you. I'd love to pray that before it's too late you'd be saved. Is there anyone like that in the room? And right now, while no one's looking but me, you'd lift your hand long enough for me to take note of it. And then I'll anonymously pray for you. Anyone like that at all? All right, one final question. This is as far as I'm going to go tonight. And by the way, 
The rest of the week will not be anywhere near as long as tonight. This was a little unique. But I want to go this far and this far only. Folk, God's trying to do something in our country. And He wants to use us as fanners of His flame. Revival fire. There was a lot of singing, a lot of discussion, a lot of praying yesterday on Capitol Hill about the fire of the Holy Spirit falling on America. There was a lot of discussion about our churches once again being infused with the power of God's Holy Spirit. And one of the emblems in the scripture of the Holy Spirit is fire. I want to be a fanner of that flame, folk, I do. Now all I'm asking tonight as far as we're going to go, Christian friends, if you understood tonight what's been said and you understand America's need and the answer to America's problems is a spiritual one, revival, and you'd be willing to say, Lord, however you can use me. However you can use me. I don't even understand at this point how it might be. Maybe you have an idea how it might be. Maybe at this point you don't have an idea. That doesn't matter. All I'm asking tonight is, are you willing to say, God, use me in the cause of revival? I want to be right with you myself so that you can use me in the cause of revival. If you would be willing to say that to the Lord, pray that to the Lord, ask that of the Lord. I want to be right with you, Lord. By the way, tonight would be a great time to confess any sin between you and God. I want to be right with you, Lord, so you can use me in the cause of revival. If you'd be willing to pray that to the Lord and mean it, I wonder if you'd just be willing right now with your head bowed. Don't look see what someone else does. If you'd be willing to pray that, I wonder if you'd be willing to stand to your feet right where you are. Lord, I want to be right with you. Because I want you to use me in the cause of revival. Folk, that doesn't just mean in D.C., which is my ministry field, part of it. That means right here in Union Grove, North Carolina. I want you to use me, Lord, in the cause of revival. I want you to use me, Lord, in the cause of revival. Heavenly Father, I pray that our perspective has been changed tonight. Lord, there's so much that we could springboard off of and discuss, but Lord, all I'm asking is that we would understand you want to bring revival more than we want it. You are not the hindrance, Lord. If there's a hindrance, it's us. We stand in the way of you doing what you've wanted to do for decades on end. So Father, may we get our life as right with you as we possibly can. May we deal with sin. And then, Lord, may we make ourselves available as a catalyst for revival usable vessel for revival in this day and time. And Father, I pray that what you do would be so awesome even this week that men on the outside, women on the outside would say, look what God's doing in that life, in that church called Calvary Baptist. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do. Now Lord, tomorrow night, we're going to start dealing with some very important things that may be the blockage to keep us from having revival. Lord, this is a starting point. Would you bless tomorrow night, Tuesday and Wednesday in a powerful way is my prayer. In Jesus' name I do pray. And all God's people who prayed with me said,